0: Well, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't say a bit more uh, about being your associate pastor. And in particular, I, I know that it's continued to come up. What, What is the difference between an assistant and an associate? I mean, you know, we keep trying to explain it and the questions keep coming. Even yesterday, someone asked, and it has been pointed out to me that there's at least one similarity, both assistant and and associate do begin with the same first three letters, but I hope that doesn't reflect on me. But in, in all seriousness, you guys know I'm a very emotional person, so i gotta, I got to lighten it so I can, I can connect with you now. On a more serious note, though it may take you a moment to realize that's where I'm actually going with this, maybe this will help a little bit. Uh, being an assistant pastor... Uh, With a congregation, it's very much like an arranged marriage, okay? So you have a session over a church, and in their spiritual care of that church, and their their discernment of how the Lord is leading, oftentimes a session, as you've heard, will call a pastor to serve as the assistant pastor. Uh, But the formal relationship is actually between the session and that pastor. The session extends the call, the pastor accepts it from the session, And so it's more of an arranged relationship with the congregation. But then often what happens as well, it provides a great opportunity for a congregation to get to know a pastor and a pastor to get to know a congregation. And then things may get a little more serious, move towards a marriage of mutual consent, if you will, uh, where the congregation as a whole, as, as Steve did a good job of explaining, is when a congregation as a whole calls a pastor. And the pastor responds to that congregation and says yes. And so all of a sudden the formal relationship moves between a pastor and a session to a pastor and an entire church body, a local church body. Um, and so the, the 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 vows that I just took are the, the same ones that a solo pastor, or a lead pastor in a church will take. Uh, because now uh, we have that pastor-congregation relationship. And I'm very grateful uh, to be a part of this church family. Now, having said that, I'm not up here merely to talk to you about what it means to be an associate pastor, but to open God's word for us today. And we're confronted with a question. Why is God's word the foundation of our worship? If you've noticed, you've been here several times, you've noticed in our order of worship, every week, every part of our order of worship is informed by the Bible. So why is God's word the foundation of our worship? Well, simply put, because the word of God speaks life into death. And every week we begin our our worship service with a call to worship directly from the pages of Scripture, directly from the Bible. And if you remember back a few weeks to the first sermon preached in this sermon series, this sermon series entitled Vital Worship. uh, Vital meaning that which is central to, but also vital meaning that which is life-giving If you remember back to the the sermon on the first element, the first part of our, our worship together is God's people, the call to worship. Then you may remember that we looked at the fact that God's voice speaks first, that God's voice speaks life, and that God's voice in speaking life empowers the only appropriate response to the life giver. And that's worship. That response is worship. Bringing honor and glory to our God with our lips and with our lives. Without God's word, we cannot worship. Without God's word, we cannot live as we were created to live. Without God's word, we are dead. So, why? Why? Why is God's word the foundation of our worship? Because we continually need his voice to speak life into our places of death and to direct us toward Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so this morning I want to ask you another question. Where are the places of death and dying for you right now? Where are the places in your heart that desperately need God's voice to speak life into? Well, our text this morning is Psalm 19. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 456. But let's take a moment to pray and ask that our God would meet us in his word. So please join me. Our gracious God, we thank you that you have called us to worship. And Lord, in that, we need to hear from you, your life-giving word. And just as has been pointed out earlier already, we, sometimes we just try to make all this happen on our own and we can't. We need you to do a work in us. So would you this morning? Would you open us to your word? Would you open your word to us that we might be changed more and more and more by the reality of the gospel? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm nineteen, hear the word of God. To the choir master. A psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber. And, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We'll discover three words. God's speechless word, God's perfect word, and God's living word. The speechless word, the perfect word, the living word. And so our first word, God's speechless word, verses 1 to 6. Let me reread those first couple of verses for us. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork Day-to-day pours out speech and night-to-night reveals knowledge. The heavens declare the glory of God. As John Calvin said, all of creation is a theater of God's glory. Verse 3, with an alternate translation for the second line. There is no speech, nor are there words, no sound, Is heard from them. And yet verse 4. Their measuring line. Their voice. Goes out through all the earth. And their words. To the end of the world. You see. Creation. Is God's speechless word. Now at times. We are tempted to discount creation. Or at least to take it for granted. But here in Psalm 19. David shows that we should embrace God's glory displayed in the gift of creation. In creation, we get a glimpse of who God is. We gain perspective. We get a glimpse at the enormity of Him who made us. One of the times that I was filled with fear and anxiety, one of the the many times, anxiety, uh, just really struggling to believe the gospel, to, to take God at His word. One of those times that I'm thinking of right now is when I was serving as a campus minister down in North Carolina. And it was late one night and we were in the, the North Carolina mountains. And I was in a conversation uh, with a, a Christian brother. And he listened to me as I, as I poured out my heart. And he spoke God's word to me. And he, he ministered to me simply by His presence. But I, I tell you, I just, I wasn't hearing the gospel. I was stuck. It, it seemed as if nothing would penetrate my heart. And then I remember he smiled. And he said, "Camper, let's go for a walk outside. And so, it, again, we were in the, in the mountains. It was, uh, it was beautiful, a, a clear night, a cool breeze. Just a little hint of the moon and just these brilliantly shining stars. And as we took a walk, uh, my friend reminded me of God's promise to Abraham, to Abram. Back in Genesis when God said, Abram, I will bless you. In fact, I'm going to bless all peoples, all nations through you. Those who, like you, have faith in me, I will bless them. They, They will be your ancestors. And they will outnumber the stars in the sky. And then he looked at me and he said, Camper, look up. There is a star with your name on it. And I remembered the gospel. God's speechless word spoke into my heart. You see... God makes himself known through creation. Uh, Similar to the way that an artist makes him or herself known uh, through his or her artwork. And maybe you've been here for one of our first Friday art events. You've gotten to know a little bit about Erin Forgett through her pen and ink drawings. Or Charlie Coffin through his bronze sculpture. However, just as you can't personally know the artist uh, just through their artwork. The Bible makes it clear that we can't personally know God through his artwork. Creation is good. Creation is wonderful. But it's not enough. We need more. And God gives us more. And that leads to our next point. So from God's speechless word to God's perfect word. Our second word, God's perfect word, verses 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them as your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Beautiful statements. The law of the Lord is perfect. Did you hear that? Reviving the soul. Making wise the simple. Rejoicing the heart. Enlightening the eyes. More to be desired than gold. And sweeter than honey. Even honey on the comb. These beautiful, poetic statements, they sound so good, so right, but about God's law? I mean, we might think of these wonderful statements being made about beautiful creation, but about God's law? And if you're like me, sometimes the way you think of God's law is you think of that police officer on the side of the road waiting to catch you breaking the traffic law. Some of you probably experienced that this morning. You were coming in on Jamestown Road from 199, and you hit that hill. And you just always seem to gain a little bit extra speed down that hill. And then there's the police car right beside the watershed. (laughs) Now, I won't ask for a show of hands if anyone was stopped by that police car this morning. But, you know, sure, creation is beautiful. But God's law... And yet, David gives us this beautiful, simple, profound statement. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, law in the Old Testament is a wonderfully comprehensive word referring to everything God wants us to know about himself and to know about being in a right relationship with him. And I want you to note for a moment the transition. Take a look. There's the first section, and now we're into the second section. But note the transition from God in the first section, G-O-D, the word God, a more general term, to now here in the second section, the transition to, to Lord. And did you notice it's it's that Lord in small caps? You probably remember that in our English translations, whenever you come across the word Lord in small caps, it is the Personal divine name of God, Yahweh. The personal God. It is His law that is perfect, and He graciously gives it to us in the Bible. In the pages of Scripture, God speaks His word to us, His perfect word. And what does His word? What does this perfect word do? Well, first and foremost, verse 7, it revives the soul. Now, very similar phrase is used here in a psalm that probably every single one of us knows. Whether you are a Christian or not, you are probably familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The perfect Word of God revives the soul. Beautiful, encouraging when we think of that, Psalm 23. But implicit in that Psalm, implicit here, is our soul's need. To be restored. You see, something is wrong with our core identity. Something is wrong with my life in the deepest sense. at the deepest part of my beings. My soul needs to be restored. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. Well, revive. Think of a couple of basic meanings of revive. On the one hand, to awaken and or refresh like a cold glass of water for someone who's fainted on a hot summer day. Or also, to bring back to life. Like a defibrillator used to jumpstart the heart of someone who's about to flatline. God's perfect word wakes us up and calls us to life. Whether for the first time being called from spiritual death and sin to spiritual life in Christ. Or day to day, being spiritually renewed in the midst of life's suffering and pain. All of scripture is a call to life and thus all of scripture is a call to worship. John Frame, a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, says this. It is important for our worship to recognize that when we hear or read the Word of God, we are actually encountering God Himself. And the power of the Holy Spirit accompanies His Word to give us understanding. It is important for our worship to recognize that when we hear or Or read the Word of God, we are actually encountering God Himself. It may not always feel like it, but we are encountering, we are being encountered by the Living God. God is speaking His perfect Word to us. But are we listening? Are we listening? Do you come to God's Word expectantly? Do we come together as, as God's people when we gather on a Sunday morning expecting that God will meet us? Or are we just going through the motions, as Brandon pointed out earlier? Sometimes we just, we just get in the routine. We get up, and I only had to tie my tie, I think, three times this morning. But it's so easy to just go through the routine But when we come together as God's people and we read, we hear his word, he is speaking. And that leads to our final point. From God's speechless word and God's perfect word to God's living word. Our third word. God's living word. God's perfect word always points to God's living word. God's living word, verses 12 to 14. Who? Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David transitions into this third section by moving from proclamation of God's glory and the perfection of God's law to prayer. In David's prayer, he expresses realization. Realization that he falls short of God's glory. That he falls short of the perfection of God's word. That he needs a savior a redeemer, someone to rescue him. And so he asks the soul-searching question, Who? Who can discern his errors? A rhetorical question. But the universal answer is no one. No one can discern his errors. There are hidden faults that we are blind to. There are presumptuous sins that we so easily slide into. And then later in Psalm 139, David cries out, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David realizes that though he was created to be in relationship with God, because of his sin, he is unable to obey and to keep his commands. And so in and and of himself, he is unable to be in relationship with the Lord. And so what does he do? David calls out to the Lord, his rock and his Redeemer. And who is that Redeemer? No surprises here. We know him by the name Jesus. The most beautiful name ever spoken. Jesus. A name that literally means, the Lord saves. The Lord, small caps, saves. Yahweh saves. The personal God saves. You see, God's perfect word always points to God's living word. God's perfect word always points. God's perfect word in the Bible always points us to the living word, Jesus. There is a a fantastic new children's Bible out there. the, The Jesus Storybook Bible. And the next line in the title is, every story whispers his name. Every page of scripture. We sang that earlier. Did you catch that? Laden with guilt and full of fears, full of death. I fly to thee, my Lord, and not a glimpse of hope appears. But in thy written word, the volumes of my father's grace, does all my griefs assuage Here I behold my Savior's face in every single page. God's living word has been made known to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Like David, though we were created to be in relationship with God... Because of our sin, we are unable to obey Him and keep His commands. And thus, in and of ourselves, we are unable to be in relationship with the Lord. But Paul explains in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to all peoples. So that the blessing of Abraham might come to all peoples. Just like that friend reminded me of this blessing. That starry night. Through faith in Jesus. Look up. There is a star with your name on it. As one commentator put it. God fulfilled the conditions of the law so that he could love us unconditionally. Jesus' perfect life earned blessing. Jesus' sacrificial death took the curse so that we could receive that blessing. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I hope this is beginning to make more sense. But I want to take a moment to to talk to those of us that have been in the church for years. I know uh, a few moments ago, Brandon referred to a friend he was talking to, and that friend had wanted to invite someone who didn't yet know Jesus to church, but uh, that friend didn't want to go be with a lot of pretenders. And I had a similar conversation with a friend of mine this week. Uh, Anyway, my my point is that my, my fear for those of us who have been in the church for many years Is that we have confused being good and doing the right thing with being in relationship with Jesus? Myself included, very much here. We can simply play the religious game, put on our smiling faces, put on our our best clothes, and come on a Sunday morning. Inside, we are dying. But we put on that happy face and say, everything is okay. And we're not living in the reality, as I've pointed out before, that the church is a hospital. Where the great physician brings hope and healing to broken people. Now, for those of us, again, like myself, who err in that direction. Who are tempted to play the religious game. Who are tempted to to build up Bible knowledge is a way to, to do the right thing, to be good, to earn God's favor. It's important for us to remember Jesus' words to those who play religious games. In John 5, Jesus cautions, You diligently study the Scriptures, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these are the Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The scriptures always point to a person. They always point to Jesus. Good Bible knowledge and good theology is very good. But the ultimate thing is being in relationship with the living God, Jesus Christ. And David is aware of this. He ends Psalm 19 with these words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David ends this psalm aware of the living word. Aware of the truth that the redeemer would speak hundreds of years later. When in Matthew 15, Jesus would say. What comes out of the mouth? proceeds from the heart. And so David prays, may the words that come out of my mouth proceed from a heart that is transformed by you and thus be acceptable in your sight. But we're like David. Like David, we need renewed hearts. If what is going to proceed from our lips and our lives... Is going to honor God and bring him glory. If we are to live as we were created to live. Finding life and then living day by day. In relationship with him. With him who created us. With him who redeemed us. Like David we must call out to the Lord. And hear him who speaks life into us. Paying attention to him through his speechless word listening to Him through His perfect Word, being searched, known, and transformed by Him, the living Word, Jesus, our Rock and our Redeemer. So why is God's Word the foundation of our worship? Because the Word of God speaks life into death. So I ask you, where are the places of death and dying for you this morning? Where are the places that are so dark, where it is fearful, that you desperately need to hear God's word speak life? Is it conflict that is tearing you up inside and tearing apart your relationships? Is it loneliness that has you feeling like God and everyone else is so far away? Is it disease that is attacking your body or threatening the life of someone you love? Is it anger that rears its ugly head every time you don't get your way? Is it addiction that holds you captive and makes empty promises? Is it guilt that keeps you from resting in God's forgiveness? Is it disappointment or loss that's fanning the flames of anxiety, depression, bitterness? Is it a presidential election and a failing economy that makes life seem so uncertain? Ultimately, is it fear? Fear that God will not show up. Why is God's Word the foundation of our worship? Why is God's Word the foundation of our lives? Because we continually need His voice to speak life into our places of death and point us to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, So that we might know life and know it to the full. And the day is coming when we will know the fullness of that life. The fullness of God's glory. But until that day, rest knowing that the Lord is speaking. So go to Him. Hear the voice of Jesus. And know life. Let's pray. And I want to give you a moment to pray quietly in your hearts and to ask Jesus to speak in those paralyzing places. And then after a few moments of silence, I'll, I'll close us. Oh, gracious God, the, the prayers that we are praying right now, they're going to continue and we're going to continue to need to hear your voice. Would you open our ears, our hearts, that we would hear you speak life into us? For Lord, Lord Jesus, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Amen.